Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Nick? Hey, man. Hey. My, <laughs> my voice cracked the first word out of my mouth. Yeah, that's no good. It's fine. Run it back. <laughs> Did you ever preach as a, you know, like as a teenager for like some youth service or whatever? No. Yeah. I guess the only reason I'm asking that is because I remember very distinctly two different times that I was in a church service that a poor kid was going through puberty and his voice cracked oh. so many times during his little sermonette or whatever. And oh my goodness. It's brutal. Yes. I, I uh I went to well, I think probably the first time I really preached was at uh in Hackett's homiletics class. And, but then I had to go to this youth, I was playing worship, uh, some like paid worship gig at some youth group in town in Lakeland. And they had some intern from Southeastern was there and it was his night to preach. And to this day, I mean, I've never, I've never sat through something more awkward. I mean, (laughs) yeah, he just tanked. I mean, he... Oh, it was, I mean, it was it, like, it still hurts me to think about it. That's how, like, it was one of those, like, I have to escape and I would, but I have to go back up there at the end. And, uh, you don't do well with that, do you? No. I mean, I, I used to cry during, uh, talent shows because of how much pressure I felt for people, like yeah. the social kind of suicide that people do like, God, elementary school when some kid that already gets the crap kicked out of him every day decides to like, you know, try to juggle scarves or something. (laughs) You're just like, dude, even if you succeed, this is going to be horrible for you. Yeah. There's no win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I remember there was a guy, uh, I wasn't there, but he said that he was, you know, just bombing so bad. And it's, you know, like anyone that's done any kind of public speaking knows that feeling, you know, you're just, your, your body temperature is rising. You just, your mind is completely cotton mouth, deep, everything. Yeah. And he just was lost and didn't know what to do. And he, and he heard this, this lady out loud say, Oh, bless him, Lord. <laughs> uh, are you, are you telling the story from when I was preaching it? PK's church? <laughs> no. Oh, because I was like, I I didn't think I was bombing unless I didn't know. Uh, but that that some lady at his church did say that to me. Oh, well, yeah. maybe she maybe she thought you were. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I need to go back and look at those notes. Yeah, yeah. I, no, she. It, yeah, it was it was encouraging to me. I was like, hey, I'm I'm uh, I'll I'll take it. Oh, that was a different situation then. <laughs> um, I I told Chelsea this week, I it doesn't often happen that I remember my dreams. I'll, I can tell you in the morning if it was good or bad, but usually I don't remember what it was about. 
But this past week I had a very vivid dream of I was supposed to be preaching at this big church in Georgia and you know, 30 minutes before or something, I it dawned on me. I I don't I don't have any notes. Like I haven't done any work for this. I have not put one second of thought into this. And and so I just left. I just <laughs> I was like at the church and uh, I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go up here and just fake it. I don't have anything. I have nothing. So I'm just leaving. Do you think, could you do that? Like, so in real life, if you didn't have anything, do you think, could you fake your way through 30 minutes from starting at zero? So, uh, and there's a point to what I'm about to say, but so Kanye West is having like a mental breakdown publicly right now. He's got bipolar and he's in this big manic episode right now. And Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle flew down to where he's at. I think it's somewhere in Texas and like spent some time with him. Well, then he, Kanye posted a video of him and Chappelle and uh, like five or six other people, and they're all standing in a line as if they're going to take a picture, but then the guy starts taking a video, so they're all kind of smiling, and then Kanye's like, all right, thanks to my friend Dave Chappelle who came down here. He's a real one, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, Dave, uh, you're the funniest guy in the world. The world needs some happiness right now. Tell, tell him a joke. And Dave just like completely clams up, and he's like, I mean, it doesn't work like that, man. I don't need, I got no idea. I don't know. What am I going to say? And then he kind of like walks off the camera at one point, but then he gets pulled back in. Anyway, he never says a joke. And so it brought me a ton of consolation to know that even Dave Chappelle doesn't want to get put on the spot and can't just like turn it on, you know? Yeah. Believe it or not, I saw that. Oh, did you? I did, actually. Yes. And, I felt the same thing that you were just describing and because that's, that is, there are some people who are better at those sorts of things, but that's, I'm not like, man, what, you know, I'm better. Like, let me think through things. Let me, you know, I'll come back to you with some stuff, but yeah. If If I'm ice cold, nothing, and I have nothing prepared and I had to get up and like, all right, and and specifically, I want you to preach a sermon. Um, I don't I I don't know that I would try it. I don't know that I I don't know that I have it in me. I mean, I, I could get up there and, you know, say something if I absolutely had to or something. Um, but it's not. I mean, ooh, I, that's super foreign to me. I, if it was a Q and A or something like that, that'd be different. But if it was, if it was like, all right, Joseph, stand up here and. Get it going. 35 minutes. Yeah. Not happening, huh? Yeah. No. All right. We'll just, hey, uh, worship team, just stay up here and keep on. Keep on going. I feel like the the Lord is saying to just keep on singing. <laughs> yeah. Give that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which we've all seen that happen before. <laughs> like Exactly. Dog, we know you were on vacation last week. Like, like, don't, I, I can't, I don't know how to describe verbally this signal, but it's like watching 
the pastor looked to the worship leader and do like a circular motion with his fingers. Uh-huh, so yeah. it's like, again, again, keep rolling type thing. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that guy has no notes. He's got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, the worship just went so long. I, don't, I that's a, take that's taking up all my time. I, you know, we'll probably just need to wrap it on up here, guys. Yeah. Uh, as he's pr- pretending that there's no way that he could fit all of these notes into the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just he's, he's just swiping through completely blank sheets on paper. Like, ah, yeah. cool. have to so get back much. to this next so week. Just close it really hard and put it in the bag and zip it. <laughs> Nobody Pad- look at these. Padlock it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Um, well, let's let's read this Jacob text and uh and then we'll we'll get into it. Um Genesis 28:10-19. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They'll spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you, and I'll protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've finished giving you everything I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. So, Steve, give us us a little bit of context of who Jacob is. I mean, he doesn't arrive at this dream, you know, in some detached way. It's not just a text that appears out of nowhere. So who, who is Jacob and you know, what, what led to this moment? Right. It's yeah. He's a continuation of the, the Abraham story. Right. You know? Um, so Abraham of course was, was called out by God from where he was and uh, led by God into new places and new adventures, new, discoveries and through that he was to become the place or the person or the lineage or or the family that um you know the salvific work of god would be made manifest into the world so the entire the world would be blessed through this family um that's a that's a significant i mean the abrahamic promise is central to everything old testament yeah it's where the covenant uh and that's a whole another topic of discussion but but so vital that's where the covenant becomes like the central 
part of this God world human relationship as it continues to evolve. For sure. Yeah. Um, but so Abraham has Isaac, uh, not just, it's not that clean. Of course, there's the whole things involved with his inability to have children with his wife, Sarah. And so the Hagar, the, I can't remember the title that was given to her, but of course a lot happened before we get to the birth of Isaac. Um, many stories in between, including the fact that Abraham and Sarah didn't necessarily trust the promises of God. And so they involved Hagar, the concubine as a way to secure the lineage being passed on. And so Ishmael was born to Hagar, but that wasn't the the promised son that would come through Sarah. But eventually Isaac was born um, to Sarah. And then of course the whole story about God calling to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then intervening at the last minute and providing the ram for sacrifice. Um, Isaac then goes on and has many different uh, stories of his own, but then part of his story is that he gives birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau, of course, was the, the firstborn, the older, but the birth story tells us that Jacob was, or I'm sorry, that Esau was born with Jacob holding on to his heel. His heel. Right. Yeah. And so there was already this tension involved in the story. And, and a lot of these ancient stories have that conflict, this sibling rivalry um, going on, you know, this almost, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but like, you know, the whole, the Cain and Abel dynamic, the, right. um, you know, and that carries on even past this Jacob and Esau story. But, but this is obviously beginning with, that tension involved and and so jacob uh, which means uh usurper i believe deceiver heel um, trickster yeah yeah so uh the name was given to him so jacob and esau were born and you know the promise of abraham of course was given to isaac that 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 same blessing would continue and as tradition would have it um that blessing is is passed down through the firstborn and so that would mean traditionally that esau would be the recipient of that blessing and that covenant would be passed down through his line now jacob had other plans um involved and so well so he did esau was the stereotypical elder brother i mean he is like out in the wild country hunting and doing all the kind of patriarch things like the future patriarch of the family things, the firstborn. And yeah, he's, he's described as, yeah, he's hairy and he's a hunter. He goes and gets wild game. And, and Jacob was a tent dweller. Yeah. And, and basically he stayed, he stayed beside Rebecca. Right. Um, and, and so as the story unfolds, Esau comes back from a hunt one day, and I guess he didn't, he wasn't successful or whatever, and Jacob had 
been cooking, I think some people think it was lentils, but it was basically a stew or something. And, and Esau was so hungry that, um, Jacob took advantage of that and basically said, sure, I'll give you some of this food, but you have to trade me your birthright. And, and Esau, he, he did, you know, and I don't know, I don't know how serious in a sense Esau took that encounter. Um, if it was just more of something that he said as a way just to simply feed his immediate need or his immediate desire, I, you know, it's hard to tell if he legitimately saw that as a trade that was now in place for their, for the rest of their, their lives or not. But, but, but if nothing else, it's a way to introduce us even more to who these two brothers are. For um, sure. Jake, Jacob was after something and he didn't care what methods it took in order for him to achieve it. Um, and Esau was very much not a forward thinker, I guess maybe would sure. be a way to put it in this scenario. But anyway, so, so, so of course life goes on and, and they grow older and Isaac gets very old and he's about to, to pass. And so it becomes time for them to pass the blessing. Um, and that's when Rebecca in, is kind of the mastermind behind this whole thing where um, Isaac had told Esau to go get him some, some food and, and that it was time to pass the blessing. Well, uh, Jacob, of course, put, animal skin on himself to to appear as though he was was Esau and um and I think it was Rebecca actually that prepared the meal and he brought it to him and and basically Jacob stole the blessing in that moment he he tricked his father into thinking that es that he was passing the blessing to Esau when in all actuality he was p passing the blessing to Jacob well, of course, it uh, to no surprise, Esau did not take that well, um, and the it quickly came to light that Esau was was planning on taking Jacob's life. Yeah, he's murderous. Well, yeah, yes, and so Jacob, of course, had to flee, and so he fled, and he was going to his uncle's house to Laban in a in a in another in another region. And so he set out and I believe he was alone as he set out. And, and that's where we find him in this wilderness moment in which in chapter 28, what you just read, he has this, this unique deep encounter uh, with God. Yeah. There, there are several places that we catch Jacob kind of in between on the run and, kind of having to face the, I don't know, face the music for his cunning or crafty kind of ways. And I don't know. I think I think one of the things that has stuck out to me in reading this text again and thinking about it this week is just that, like, Jacob's obviously not a small, like, minor character in the Old Testament. Like, there's a major promise that he's going to receive later in his story. He's, you know, he's central to everything. And yet he is this really troubled, complicated, strange figure. And 
I don't know the 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 fact that God still meets him and he has this dream, he has this vision, whatever, in this place. It it's just interesting to me because I don't know. I the one of the things that I've been interested in for a while is sort of uh, this idea of of sin and the way that it's been framed for us. And so the, you know, it, it was always spoken to me as this kind of like external punishment that like God judges us uh, from this separate place and imposes judgment or imposes consequences for sin or something instead of this idea that like, uh, the punishment for sin is sin. Like we, we are punished by our sin, not for our sins kind of thing. And so, you know, he's on the run because he's been extremely deceptive and he's facing this moment of being, you know, alone, separate from his family unit, having to go to an uncle's house and all these things. And yet in the midst of that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if this will even be, if this will land with anybody else, but like the idea that that God still sees him, that God still meets him, that he still encounters God in right smack dab in the middle of his own trickery, his own, you know, cunning ways and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's, for me anyway, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a comforting thing. It's, it's like a nice reframing of all of that because it was such a tangled, weird kind of relationship that I had with the idea of sin growing up, I guess. Does any of that make sense, Steve? It does. And although we see it probably, a, well, maybe a little bit more as central to the life of of Jacob, it's not, it's not unique. Like it's, it's expected in a sense, if we read well, the previous stories, like, Mm -hmm. because, um, not to shift the focus, but like it, it's part of the Abraham story. Abraham, uh, lies and says that Sarah is his sister as a way to preserve his own life. Cause he's afraid, you know, right. Sarah, Sarah laughs at the idea that God is still able to provide a child in her 90 year old womb. Like, you know, Abraham, the whole near sacrifice of Isaac is just this whole weird story uh, that we don't have time to get into but then what's strange with that story is uh after that happens we never see another interaction between isaac and abraham so it's almost like this weird divide occurs uh after that and then isaac has his own his own issues so it's like the bible it it just these stories like these are oral stories passed down of their heroes in a sense but yet almost unique to this type of literature is the inclusion of all these the, faults. The, yes. The realness, like it's, it's, it's the human story being told. It's not some epic, Yeah, you know, this, this is, this is as genuine as it gets. And so Jacob then is, is that, and then some. 
and they're not small things. It's not like small, moral, petty kind of things. It is like significant, <laughs> major character issues in all of these people that are being included in the story. I think that's a, a really important point. And I know this may be a tangent or something, or maybe, uh, I don't know, not central to what we're talking about today, but I do think that it's important that we investigate how we view this idea of sin because this idea that it's some kind of external thing that God is imposing judgment on us separately from our sins in a way that isn't, uh, I don't know that, that, that there's some kind of separateness or there's some, that there's something about our sin that separates us from God. And this it's this external thing. And so we, we've got to try to remove sin from our lives because it's keeping us from God or something rather than understanding that it's, you know, that the punishment for sin is the result of sin itself, you know? And so I think I, I was reading a couple of different things today. Um, one, one was about uh, this movement at, and both of these things are totally irreligious. One of them was about um, intentional, like intentionally choosing sobriety, even for people that aren't necessarily addicts, but people that are just kind of trying it out and how, how like big of a um, movement it's becoming. And then the other one was this whole subculture on the internet that is trying to move away from internet pornography and addiction to it. And all of them are approaching it in this way that feels like it's a lot less cluttered with these weird views of God in, in the, in the midst of it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider God in, you know, our actions or how we live our lives, of course, far from it. But I do think that there are people that are able to outside of these old and weird views of how God sees sin, uh, that are more healthy, more true, more real for people. And, you know, because otherwise, you do one of two things. You either you either live completely racked with guilt, and it's, you know, living under the pressure of a God who doesn't really even exist, and this pressure that you self-impose or has been imposed on you, and you just live under that your whole life, or you decide that there's no such thing as sin, and you just go completely away from, you know, that concept at all. And I think both of those are really unhealthy, you know? Well, sure. I think, yeah, because to remove, well, to remove sin language from from the culture is is detrimental. And I think, you know, probably too much of a blanket statement, but, you know, it's one of the downfalls of kind of like the, uh, maybe like a little bit more of the new age spiritual, but not religious type movement that I think that they would, they don't like to talk in terms of sin, but, but the reality of it is, is, you know, the word is, we've all heard this a hundred times. It's, it's an archery term. It's missing the mark, you right. know? And, and the fact of the matter is, is there, there is something that we aim towards, mm-hmm. you know, but, but like someone like Jacob, he stumbles forward. Like he does have this aim, but, but it's not like, it's not like these weird it's not like the sin in his life was like this weird separate category that he kind of kept going into. It's like, it's all in inter 
intertangled. Yes. And so like all of it is like a tumbleweed rolling forward. And in that he's trying to find this thing that he is aiming at. Like there is a goal. There are aims to shoot for. There are ways to be in the world that is not deceptive, that is not lying to yourself, that is not untrue to your purpose in the world. A million percent. And and his story and his sin and his goals and all of it are inextricably bound together. Like you were saying, it is one big tumbleweed that's moving forward. And, you know, I think the recognition of our sin or our limitedness or our weakness or our mixed motives or all, all these things that are, you know, things that we, if we're honest, we, we know are very present in us. Uh, I, I think it, I think it's Rohr. Yeah. Richard Rohr always says that, you know, we, we come to God by doing it wrong far more often than we do by doing anything right. Like the recognition of our weakness is the pathway to like coming to God truly or faithfully or whatever. And so, but the a prerequisite for that is being able to actually give language or give voice to that. And so if you don't have any mechanism for that, because it's so, it's been framed so poorly for you, I don't think that we're able to move forward. You know, if everything is just like, and I, and I don't want to be like super boomer go against all, I don't know. Like if all the languages are only, uh, love yourself, you're perfect, you're beautiful, everything's wonderful about you, you know, but there's no mechanism. There's no kind of place to say, to confess, I get it wrong a lot. And I'm, you know, I think that's why I love comics so much because, you know, and maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this has something to do with Jacob. Maybe it doesn't. But like you hear somebody like Bill Burr, who's, you know, (laughs) He's wrestling with this persistent anger in his life, you know. He, <laughs> I heard him the other day talking about like getting into this super big argument with his wife, and then coming back in thirty minutes later and saying, "Honey, you you married the wrong person. I'm sorry. I just I'm an idiot. I got really mad. You said that. It made me feel like this. It sounded like my mom. I hated hearing it. I lashed out." And I'm sorry, I don't want to be this way, but you knew who I was when you married, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't know, it that kind of recognition of our own limitedness, our own weaknesses, our own, and being able to vocalize them, not in a way that, that glorifies them or celebrates them, but in a way that says, I'm willing to take an honest look at myself. I don't know. I think there's something important about that. Yeah, well, I know like one clinical psychologist says the worst thing you could ever tell someone is they're they're okay just the way they are as an attempt to build self-esteem. Like mm-hmm. because because to to know them in any level is to know that they are miserable with many things about themselves. Ah, uh, right. You know? Yep. And so it's like, wait, you mean this is it? This is my fullest potential. This yes. is the greatest expression of myself. Because if it is, I'm out. Yeah, you know, find so. happiness exactly how you are, and do not change anything. You have to come to terms with who you are right now. Don't change anything, and that's where happiness is. Like, okay, well, you're never going to find it. Right, but but so, uh, 
help me stumble through this and this thought and see if it makes any sense. And if it doesn't go anywhere, that's fine. Cause, but, but the difference I see or, with someone like Jacob. So like when it comes to this kind of stuff, like, so all of us have these, these missing of the mark type moments and, and not even just moments, but like we said, this, this, this idea of missing the mark intertangled with, the way in which all of our life moves forward but but there's like there's a couple of different expressions of that um and it goes back to different views of sin like so you've got this person maybe who is just simply like trying to live too um safe in a sense and so like they have the sin category in their life and they have the not sin category in their life and the not sin category of their life is just like Okay, I've, I've I go to my job. I I you know perform X, Y, and Z, and then oops, I messed up. I looked at the wrong thing on the internet. I'm back to the not sin category, you know, and kind of like this back and forth of just simply this seesaw of in and out of that. But then you get someone like Jacob who is like he like he is going for something here. Like he does have an aim, but he's just doing it poorly in many ways, like he recognizes to some degree that this God blessing to the world needs to find expression and he's going to fumble through this. And he, he wants to be a part of this. He wants to be a part of this thing that was given to his grandfather and he wants to be the one to, to carry it out. And so he stumbles, he stumbles through it, but and he goes about it through the wrong way, but the type of person that he is, is open to see this vision of this heaven and earth overlap. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what type of person is that? Like, so he doesn't accept the traditional roles. Like, you know, you, you're trying to tell me that the, the blessing is passed down to the oldest? Well, I'm not buying it. Like, yeah, and like maybe Esau, I, maybe Esau was an idiot, you know? Maybe right. he's like, it's not going to work, guys. Like, I know this guy. It's not going to, he's not going to take the promise and do with it what he should. Yeah, it, and it, it's hard, and it's hard to know how much, like, is, is, these stories are told, it's hard to know how much awareness they have in real time of, sure. you know, what is actually happening, but, but they're, there's no question that Jacob has this deep sense of, of destiny or calling or whatever you want to, you want to label that. And it, it is this driving thing that pulls him forward. And he is the type of person who is, is open. He's open to new ways of thinking. Like, he, well, he's and open. it would have come at a great cost to him. He had to know that his brother was going to want to kill him and could. Right. Yeah. He, yeah, there's no way that that would have just simply been given up by Esau. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't know what the link is, but I do think that there's some sort of link to like this, this, um, drive to, to be open to new things that allows for Jacob to ex- even just experience this vision that he has. Or for this sure. Dream. 
because you know his grandfather had encounters with god his his father had encounters with god but this is this is something new like this is this is a a new layer of 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 god covenant understanding yeah and it's it's that jacob it's this cunning trickster you know all of the messiness of what we just talked about who hears the promise of God, you know, in this dream in the middle of the desert with his head on a rock, you know, like God, God meets him even in all of that, or maybe even uniquely in that position or something. And I I think it's important to know that, like, I don't know. I, I just think that that's not a small thing. No, not at all. And he's alone in the wilderness. And I, you know, and again, that's another pattern that we read throughout a lot of these stories. It's, um, which is a strange juxtaposition of the need for community, the need for each other versus a lot of times the need for isolation in order to have these types of, of moments. Yeah. So he has to face the wilderness now and, and he gets up from that, you know, from that rock sets the rock up and says it's an altar and uh, says, you know, surely the Lord was in this place. I was unaware of it, which I is a line I love because I, you know, it's how I experience God most of the time. Like surely, surely God did, you know, was present to me here. God was doing this and I had no clue, no conscious perception of it. But then, you know, the story goes on. He goes to his uncle's house. He gets there. He wants to marry one of his daughters. He... <laughs> He ends up marrying both, or he ends up marrying the wrong one, weak-eyed Leah. Uh, it, I mean, it says that. Yes. Uh, and so he ends up married to both, tons of kids. Um, then, because how long was it? Do you remember how long he was there at Laban's house? How long? Uh, well, he had to work. Seven years, right? Four, well, yeah, he married... Yes, he was given the older daughter. Um, David Dukeson's calling me. Go away, David. Yeah, and so so he was in 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 a sense tricked by his uncle because um, <laughs> he wanted he wanted uh, to marry Rachel, the younger daughter, and um, you know one of the greatest biblical or the, one of the greatest questions that we all have, you know, is how his how he didn't realize that it was the wrong. Super drunk. No other way around it. Yeah, so, but too late. It was consummated, so (laughs) guess what? Yeah, he wakes up in the morning, right, to find, oh, it's weak-eyed Leah. (laughs) Yeah, of all the details, you you like that one. I mean, that's what it says. Uh, It's like, you feel like you have a hall pass to make fun of her just because the Bible says it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in there. I'm I I'm free. <laughs> David just texted me. He said whatever. Uh, so they have tons of kids, and they're wanting to to head back home, or you know Jacob's wanting to go back home after all these years. Um, but you know, he he knows that Esau probably hasn't like gotten over it. You know he so he's trying to smooth things over. He sends all these messengers ahead of him. They're, you know, trying to 
smooth things over. Let's see. I think it, let me pull it up. It says Jacob sent messengers ahead of his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau, which is intentional language. Humble greetings from your servant, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I've sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping uh, that you'll be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you, dot, dot, dot with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. <laughs> so he sends all these, you know, all this stuff ahead of him. And then he sends his family and all of that. And so then again, now he's terrified on the run having to face his brother Esau again. And it's that night that we get the Jacob wrestling with God text. Um, should I read it? Sure. Genesis 32, uh, 22 to 31. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok river with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I... I just love the whole arc of this story. I love all the little bits of details. I love that he hears of Jacob's or of Esau's 400 men and all of that. And he has to face the music of, you know, his own actions. He has to, he has to own all of it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's impossible to, to dive into all the, you know, the nuance of this whole Jacob story, whatever. And the, you know, 30, 40 minutes or whatever. But, but the fact of the matter is like, you know, his life has this climactic moment, right? Like, and, and what this part of what this is, 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 is an honest, an honest assessment, an honest evaluation, like a, um, a genuine a genuine assessment of who he has been and who he will become yeah well and even in the story this one that we just read i mean you see you see the virtue 
and the you know the ugliness of of who he is because you know the same thing that makes him hold on to the idea that it's not Esau it's him that's going to get the blessing you know it's, I mean he's clinging wrestling with this angel or man or God or whoever and uh, and he's not letting go it says that when he saw that the angel or man or God sees that he can't win he you know. Jacob's pretty relentless, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of part of what I was poorly trying to communicate earlier, where it's like, if you're going to have faults, and if you're going to miss marks, at least at least be driven towards something better, you know? In service like, of something. Yeah, because it's like, I guess stagnant would be a, a good way to say. It's like you you can get these lives that in the large sense, they're just stagnant. And within that stagnant pool, it's just simply trying to avoid the wrong thing. You're, you're 100% like, right. And it's one of the most, uh, like, something that sticks with me that you said probably eight years ago that, you know, if if you really wanted your kids to be safe and to never do anything wrong, you could just lock them in a closet, you know, like for years at a time. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, you know, when these silly arguments about perfect, the, even the whole idea of the word perfect. And right. that's a whole nother tangent that I don't even like that word, but it's like, okay, do you want this perfect kid? Like sinless. If you really, if you really think anything less than perfect, you know, uh, you know, runs the risk of eternal punishment or anything <laughs> like that. It's like, okay, well, as soon as they're born, what if you locked them in the closet, fed them, kept them alive, but they never performed any kind of quote unquote sinful act? Like, would they need the salvation of Jesus? And it's like, like, no. It's like, what's more sinful than not liberating potential. Uh -huh. Yes. And, and so when you look at someone like Jacob, he is, this is such a bad way to put it, but he is sinning forward. Yeah. Like, and, and th that's not the ideal. Like that's not, that's not an excuse. That's not anything even remotely close to that. But, but he, was passionately driven forward by this, this, this whole God thing. And in this moment, he was wrestling with what, what all of that even meant. Definitely. I don't know. The, the thing that strikes me is just that, you know, it's, it's like the whole freshman year of college or freshman year of Bible college Romans thing. I don't even want to get into it. It's like, do you uh, sin so that grace abounds? Absolutely not, or whatever. It uh, obviously that's not the case. Nobody's nobody needs <laughs> nobody needs the permission to sin because we're like I don't know. The thing that that I just come back to again and again is just how hopelessly and helplessly ourselves we are, you know. And mm -hmm. it, even something as stupid as and I've mentioned this before, but like I'll see some memory on Facebook that pops up from eight years ago 
and I will have this thought of, okay, I'm going to comment this thing on it because this would be hilarious. And then I, I click the thing to go do it. And then I realized that three years ago or last year, I said that exact thing in the exact same way I was going to say it this time <laughs> with no conscious memory of it. It's like right. all these patterns of, of things, who you are, are, you know, of course you're changing, of course you're evolving, but like you are still just hopelessly yourself. And so I don't know. I just think it's, I think what you're saying is, is extremely important. This buried talent kind of, uh, keeping, keeping potential locked up because you're trying to play it safe or, or play, you know, try to be sinless or something as if it was even possible. It, it just, you're, you're exactly right because you can be 100% stagnant and at no risk of, of sin or, you know, I don't know. I just think, I just think it, it, it tricks people into feeling like they set up the rules of this game that they can win which the goal of it is this, or the prize for it is this closeness to God, quote unquote, that is, you know, manufactured by them or the people that are telling them that this, it's the case. And at the end of the day, or really at the end of your life, you look back and say, okay, I, I was, had a really clean moral record and did nothing, you know, and it can't be what God wants. What Jacob is doing here is is deeply engaging with God in a way in which allows for him to become more him because his name is changed. So it's like this this greater expression of identity, like strangely happens out of this 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 deep physical engagement with with this divine presence. What you just said reminded me of a quote that I posted this week. Uh, Kierkegaard said that the, the most common form of despair is not being who you are. Yeah, and and what does his, you know, his name gets changed to Israel in this moment. Like, Yeah, right. And it took, it took suffering, it took courage, it took... Um, daring to extend beyond his capabilities in a sense like who who would wrestle with this divine presence but he held his own yeah. you know like he extended himself uh he he dealt with with who he currently was came face to face with those types of 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 things and only through that on the other side is a new name um, well and the little nugget from that story that i love the most is that his his dad asks him what's your name and he says Esau and he asks him again and he you know touches the the fur that he had put on his arm and all that kind of stuff and then he gets the blessing well then Jacob has to face that that same uh question from the angel or from God and says what's your name and he has to tell him rightly what what his actual name is he's not Esau he's Jacob and then it's it, with that recognition, that kind of coming to terms with his his identity or who he is or whatever. It's on the other side of that that then his name is changed and he moves forward or progresses or whatever. And the name given to him, Israel, is this is the new this is the covenant people. 
Yeah. This is the name of the covenant people, the chosen people. The This is the name through which all of the world will be blessed. And what that name represented in this moment was like what this is all about is bringing your honest recognition of your current name, your current self, uh-huh. and engage that deeply with this God presence in a way that doesn't give up mm-hmm. that is persistent that that you know tenaciously wrestles with that interaction and isn't afraid that the other side of that may be a limp but it's where you want to be yeah nobody you know, and, nobody I mean, chooses the limp but it, you know you're you're not going to get through this kind of deep character transformation this wrestling with god this kind of coming to terms with who you really are. It, I don't know anyone who's, you know, quote unquote, woken up or, you know, has had some kind of enlightening experience or something uh, that comes out on the other side of it, excited about the process that doesn't have some kind of profound sense of loss of who they used to be. Cause there is this kind of blissfully unaware thing of just kind of, skipping along as though everything's fine. Uh, that it does feel nostalgic to go back to those places personally of thinking, man, it was just nice to think the world was what I thought it was and think I was who I thought I was. And, uh, but of course, I don't know. The limp is a reminder of, of the struggle and, you wouldn't trade it. I don't know. Well, it's, you know, Jacob's limp or then even a greater expression of that is the, you know, the, the scars that remained on the resurrected Jesus. It's like, it, 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 it is, it's this reminder of, of the, the, the path to growth. And that's such a reduced, way to say it even like the the path to salvation like the 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 fullness the the full liberation of this god human world expression is not a smooth one and it doesn't it's not possible if it avoids the very things that need to be addressed Mm -hmm. so it has to go through it it has to it has to find forms of wrestling of like these types of engagements if there is any hope even if it has a even if it is characterized by a limp but if there's any hope of a more healthier fuller expression on the other side let me read this quote and see see if it fits joan chittister says uh The process of struggle is the process of the internal redefinition of the self. People do it in the midst of a marriage that's failing on one set of expectations and in need of being renegotiated around others. People do it when the work they do ceases to be for them what they expected it to be. People do it when they find themselves locked out socially of the very places they want to be in life, in the midst of the dominant culture and a position of power and authority in a place of comfort and security. 
when our expectations run aground of our reality, we begin to rethink the meaning and the shape of our lives. We begin to rethink not just our past decisions, but our very selves. It is a slow but determining deconstruction of the self so that a real person can be reborn in us. Beyond the expectations of others, even beyond our own previous unassailable assumptions, and struggle is its catalyst. The Hebrew Testament story of Jacob wrestling with God is a model of the process. It is given to us to apply like a template to our own lives. Each element of the small vignette is a warning call to us to attend to what God is allowing to happen to us here and now so that we might go on even healthier in times to come. It provides a series of checkpoints for the spiritual life. It is in itself a veritable spirituality of struggle, which exposes to us those elements of suffering that call us to growth and give us new life. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and the, well, what you said it calls us to growth, right? It's, yeah, it's suffering that, that calls yeah. us to growth and to give us new life. Right, and so what happens after this story? Like, you know, it's there's the, there's the reconciliation between the brothers, and and that isn't possible without what preceded it. It's like how many people, how many people demand in a sense, you know, reconciliation in certain relationships, like they feel wronged or whatever, but what they bring to that moment of reconciliation has never wrestled with who they are before God. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. I think, I think a lot of people are externalizing every problem in their lives and it's, <clears throat> it's always someone else, you know, society's fault or, you know, uh, your partner's fault, your family's fault, your parents' fault, whatever. And, uh, my work, which is of course ongoing, but the hard reality is like, you can't, you can't control any of it. You, you can only control who you're becoming in the process. And, uh, of course, boundaries and all that stuff are important and sure. having hard conversations with people. But if you externalize every one of your problems, it's convenient because you just never have to deal with yourself. You never have to deal with, with, uh, deal with your own character flaws, your own, uh, weakness, your own places where you bring about hurt and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, my, my kids will tell you, I don't, well, I hate using this word, but one of the things that I guess would trigger me as a parent in my interactions with them is whenever their first reaction is deflecting to everything else that occurred that led to their poor decisions, you know, right. And their, their involvement. And I, I don't know how many times they probably have heard me say, no, 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 you, what? Right. What, you punched what him in the face. Yes. Let's, let's, <laughs> I said, let's start there. Like, I'm not saying we won't get to those other things. Cause I'm sure many of those other things are valid, but we have to start at this point, you know? And, yeah. and probably one of the reasons that, uh, I don't like it so much is of course, because, it's all of our tendencies and oh, including mine. But. Yeah, well, and 
I don't know. I it's weird to see kids before they have had a chance to be taught how to frame things in like ways that are um that paint them in a good light, I guess. Like so Zeke today had to get a shot and he didn't want to do it and he came back and he just <laughs> he like pinched a nurse and like he he did not do good. Like did not do good. Okay. He he pinched the nurse. Yeah. And I was like, Oh I, yeah. I was like, Chels, did did she like uh did she like was she cool about it? Did she say like this happens? And she was like, No. She just said, Don't pinch me. <laughs> anyway, so Chelsea had like bribed him uh with we'll go to we'll go to Target after and get you a toy if you if you're pretty chill, you know? And uh which she told him a day early, which is a bad move. She she thought it would give him a chance to like wrap his mind around it, and basically it was just like, all right, now I got twenty four hours to panic about this. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm not allowed to go. I wasn't allowed to go in um, because of COVID and all that stuff. So Chelsea came out and Zeke ran up to the car, and he had like the little band aid on his little lollipop, and. Uh, <laughs> I said, dude, you did it, buddy. Good job. He goes, Dad, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what? He's like, I wasn't very brave, Dad. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, bud, yeah, you know, anyway, but I like, that's a small thing, but there are others where, you know, he's like, I was mean to that person or I hit or I whatever. And I I, I want him to continue to be able to like give voice to that. I, and I do think it's important for us to kind of scale that up to adulthood. For sure. So. Anyway. Um, yeah, man, I know it, I feel like this was probably as full of, of disconnected tangents as, as any of these that we've done probably, but sure. I hope, I there was hope a, those, there was a thread in there though. I hope so. Um, you know, I, I just think that these are some of my favorite stories. Like just, it's, I love everything from, well, I just love the book of Genesis and these things are so, so full of like, like almost archetypical stories, you know, that, I mean, they're more than that, of course, but, um, but they are like, they have that kind of mythic quality to, if, if you let them get in, to you, you know, if you let the stories become a part of you, I, I don't know, even going back and reading this, this week, there are little things that jump out to me and little thoughts that I connect that I otherwise hadn't. I heard, uh, Ken Tanner talking about, uh, he asked some people in his congregation what they read into it or something. And they were talking about, um, the stone that Jacob led, laid his head on was the, the stone, uh, Christ, the cornerstone that, you know, and Peter, the rock that the church was built on and kind of bridging those kind of gaps and all that kind of stuff or not bridging the gaps, but making those connections, um, not as some kind of objective thing, but as like metaphorical things, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I just think I, I challenge, I'm always challenged every time we talk about the old Testament, um, to, get back into those stories more. Cause I, I, I'm, you know, I tend to read the new Testament quite a bit more than the old. Um, 
and these stories are important. They are. I mean, and you know, we just blew over four chapters or whatever, but each, well, like even just the, the idea that stone could be, you could spend a whole hour or more, you know, just going through that. Cause really like that's, that's the first like temple. It's yeah. It's a very it, important it, thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, um, let me pray for us and we'll, uh, you know, we'll pick up next time. Anyway, God, just thank you for who you are and thank you that in our own weakness and sin and all of that, that you, your strength is somehow perfected, that you delight, uh, in us and all that that means. And we thank you, um, for who you are and for who, uh, we're becoming. So we just lean into that process, God, and we, uh, pray that you would work out all of the good things that you want in the world through us. And so we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.